Hello and welcome to the Phileas Club, the show where we get people from around the world to tell you how they saw the news from the past month. This is episode 46 for April 2012. Hello everyone and welcome to the Phillies Club, the show where we get people from different countries and cultures around the world to revisit the news from the past month and tell you how it was covered and how they perceived it uh, in their respective countries. So hopefully you get a uh, different view on the world and on the news you've heard about for a few weeks. Today, I'm very pleased to welcome Mr. Charles from Australia. I can't remember if I can say your last name or if it's a secret. It's not a secret to say All my right. last name. All right. So Charles Cox from Australia. Thank you, Patrick. How are you? How, how, wow, you sound awake. What time is it for you? <laughs> uh, it is uh, half past two. All right. In the morning. Yes, I, I, I assumed. Uh, it's six, uh, half past six for me in the afternoon. Uh, what time is it for you, Paulo, from uh, South Africa? It's we're on the same time zone, so half past oh. six. Well, that's anticlimactic. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and lastly, we, have, we have national awareness. Sorry, we have a different. Uh, you're getting your summer, and we're getting our winter now. So completely oh, okay. different size of the world. That's cool. Well, although with the weather we've been getting in Paris, it feels like like autumn. Definitely, it's been raining nonstop for like six weeks. It, it feels <laughs> like we've swept weather with London or something. Um, and last but not least, we have Letad. I always try to pronounce your name right. Usually you tell me I do okay. How is it this yeah, time? Yeah, you're great. Okay, you're great. thank you. You're too kind. <laughs> Letad from, uh, <laughs> from Thailand. PM. It's 11.32 p.m. Okay, so that's I'm still reasonable. Yeah. I, don't, I don't feel too bad. The, the only person I really feel bad for is Charles, as usual. So... Uh, I guess we're gonna be we're gonna be okay. okay. Uh, it's been a year since you've been on the show, Letad. So thank you very much for, for coming back. I think so, hasn't it? Okay, well, I guess maybe. Yeah. Uh, maybe I half think a year. So, um, yeah. so always, yeah, yeah. It's always what? great to be back. Thank you. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say something else. It's always a pain to be there. Yeah. Um, all right, so I hope things are going well in Bangkok, and I hope you guys are pumped for an awesome show of lots of international stories that have covered <laughs> and spanned the world because things happen in the world, right? No, not really. Um, so we were discussing before we started the show, and uh, so for me, I haven't really seen uh, anything about anything happening in the in the world because France have has been squarely focused on the presidential election, uh, and we've been talking basically about that only for the past month. Um, there's been a lot about Syria also, but it could be summed up in uh, the UN is getting pissed and Syria is still not doing what they're sa they said they would do. And that's about it. It's the summary of the past few months in Syria, and it hasn't changed. So I don't know if, if Syria qualifies as uh, a story we're going to be wanting to talk about. Uh, but I think everyone... On, on the on the show here today agrees that there hasn't been many major international stories, right? Yeah, yeah def definitely from our end. I mean, th there's been stories, obviously, uh, but n n nothing other than uh, 
uh, the tsunami warnings in in uh, in Indonesia for, from from my point of view. Okay, I haven't even heard about that, but uh, the uh, the uh, the French elections have been getting a bit of coverage here. Ooh, woohoo! French rules, France rules. Okay. Mm. Um, all right. So I guess what what we're going to be doing uh, for this show is that we're gonna uh, we're not going to have the um, uh, international stories section because, as I was saying, not really anything major happening. At least that we can uh, see. So if none of us has heard about anything worth mentioning, I guess it's not all that major uh, anyway. If you guys uh, listening think that we are completely missing out on the, some major event happening, then uh, please, by all means, let us know um, and comment in the in the in the article for the show or send me hateful tweets. Uh, but for now, what we're going to do, as I said, is that we're just going to be covering uh, our respective local stories. Um, you know what? I'm going to go first because I'm the main host and it's my show so I can do whatever I want. Does that work with everyone? <laughs> Sounds great. Can you, so tell us tell us your uh, cuz obviously we're all seeing outside perspectives of what's going on in uh, in France. So what's been your uh your view on what's happened with the elections? Has it been has it gone um, well? Have people been happy with the the results or So I guess there there are two main aspects of the of the election uh, in France. So for those who don't know, it's the uh, presidential elections in France, and unlike some other countries, the presidential election is really really important because the the president is actually the head of the state and makes all the decisions. Uh, I mean, the the actual head of the government is the prime minister, but the president is has more power. It's it's. Uh, comparable to what's happening in uh, to, to the system in the U.S. more than in other countries where the president is, you know, a figurehead um, more than an actual uh, uh, person deciding things. So um, th- does the um, does the president run the executive branch of government, Patrick? It's the prime minister, but the president chooses the prime minister, and the he he basically tells him what to do. So uh-huh. the, the 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 prime minister um, the prime minister will uh, head the government under the leadership of the president. So, so basically, the president has most power, or he oversees most things. Yes, in, in, yes. and in, delegates in, to the prime minister. Yeah, I'm sorry. In terms and of power, do you mean the, like uh, Charles? Okay. I, I was asking, do, does he then delegate to the prime minister that, that, that yes. authority? Yes, okay. he does. And the prime minister obviously has a lot of authority. He he forms the government. He names the the, the ministers uh, with the president. Uh, but it, it's – I don't know how else to describe it. It's really – yeah, it, it, the president is the main the main guy. He's the, the, the dude in the French government. Okay. Oh, yeah. um, I was Tatiana, to ask, you mean by power? Do you mean like influence, or does he have like um, some executive power to make decisions or veto oh, decisions? He, uh, he well, the the parliament still votes on every you know law and main decision for the country, and the ministers will have the um, you know the the oversight of their respective uh, areas but if the president calls them and says you should do this then they're going to do that they're going to do what he says um it's 
he doesn't he has veto power for some things he can call um uh, referendums uh but mostly he can dissolve the assembly uh, i mean the the parliament he can name the prime minister and he can fire the prime minister so yeah he 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 will decide how the country is run um okay. and yeah so i was saying we had two main aspects of the uh, of the election. Uh, we had the first turn of the election with ten candidates, uh, I believe, and uh, the second turn is a week away from now. Um, the first turn saw the the two main uh, candidates come ahead. Uh, so that is uh, Nicolas Sarkozy, the um, current president, and François Hollande, the person that most. Uh, most people believe will become the president after the second turn. Um, the François Hollande is um, the uh, representative of the Socialist Party, and uh, Sarkozy is the uh, right-wing, the Conservative Party uh, uh, representative. Uh, but the main story was, of course, about the third man, or the third woman, rather, um, who was uh, Marine Le Pen, the right-wing representative. She's the Front National, the National Front uh, person. And she came in third with, on the day of the election, we thought it was 20% of the vote. It turns out it's a little bit under 18, but it's still a the be best score they've ever done. And it's um, a, a way above anyone else coming after her. Um, the one after, basically there were two, uh, the, hmm, I don't know if it's far left, but it's definitely left of the Socialist Party. Uh, the guy got 11%. And <laughs> if you know anything about France, you'll know that left of the Socialist Party in France means probably horrible communist for any, anyone else in the world. Um, which it's, it's, it's with without the joke it's almost true i mean it verges on communism uh it's not quite communism it's it's more socialism but it's quite extreme even for us so he did get 11% which is not nothing of course uh which speaks to the um amount of left wing uh enthusiasts we have in france that's uh, quite a then, large percentage 11% um for such a yeah. in your work um, with the way you're describing it, quite a radical change in um, in the way things would be run. Definitely, we've we well, no one expected him to win, uh, no matter what happened. So right. it wasn't like people were going to get him elected. But it's definitely showing what their uh, leanings, their political leanings are. Uh, I sure. want to specify again: he's not a communist. Communist. He's just right, right. left of the socialist party. Uh, and then we had 9% for the center uh, guy. And both of those were disappointed. They they were hoping uh, to make a lot more, around 15, maybe more. Uh, and they were disappointed. And obviously, uh, the, the surprise came for, from the Front National. And now, uh, the game ha has started with uh, both uh, remaining candidates, which are Sarkozy and Hollande, who are sort of, hmm, it's a... It's a strange situation where Hollande is is expected to win i think the uh, latest numbers give him 54% or around that number um 
And basically, in order to get elected, most people agree that he just has to not mess up. And Sarkozy, on the other, other hand, has to convince people from the far right to vote for him and people from the center to also vote for him. So it's a, it's a very – because surprisingly, uh, 20% of the electors of, of the voters for the National Front actually vote left-wing, which I don't really understand how it works. But apparently they are angry and they, uh, they vote for the National Front on the first turn. Um, so both of them, but Sarkozy a lot more clearly and a lot more uh, <clears throat> with a lot more controversy, have been saying things that could appeal to the National Front voters. Uh, things like, "I respect the people who vote for the National Front. They are um, they, they are expressing a frustration, and we don't have a right to." Um, they don't have the right. To, we don't have the right to judge them because. Basically, the reaction, the immediate reaction was a little bit of panic, which is understandable because it's really far right. They are xenophobic. I think it's it, – it, I don't know if we can call them xenophobic. And I don't know if me saying that they might not be xenophobic, how it, will be, it would be received in France. It might be taken as an incredible uh, – uh, as something that cannot be said. Basically, the National Front is completely ostracized and considered untouchable. They are the, the plague. And certainly they're far right and they're dangerous for democracy in some respects. Uh, and I, I want to make this clear. I, I don't think they, would be, they should be the ones to be in power at, in any way. Um, but the fact that they are being so demonized or so condemned unilaterally is, in my opinion, a little bit counterproductive because we don't even try to understand why the people who vote for them actually vote for them. And that is one of the problems that we're facing today. Um, I was sorry, I, I'm ranting. I'll do that for another 60 seconds <laughs> and then stop. Um, I'll... One of the reasons I think the National Front is getting so many votes is the fact that the France is a very multicultural uh, country. We have identities and, and people from all over Europe. We, we are at the crossings of Europe and Africa and other regions of the world. We have people from everywhere. You will be hard-pressed to find someone in the country who doesn't at least know someone whose parents aren't French. You know, we have... And that has been a very... a strength of the country. But on the other hand, uh, we have a deep um, fear of patriotism. And whenever someone says wants to be proud of France as his his country his country and his you know his home, it's seen as suspect. We shouldn't be too expensive in our in our pride of the country. So what that does, and and there are reasons for this. You know, I'm sure the the world Second World War and the values exalted by the uh, Vichy government, which was obviously allied with uh, Nazi Germany, which were family, uh, work, and um, and and country, 
had a, a bounce back effect, which means these values were sus- suspect after that. But the the result is a lot of people feel like I believe a lot of people feel like we have this multicultural nation, and when they try to get a sense of identity, a lot of people, and mainly the left. Uh, of the political spectrum says, no, you can't. You cannot say you're proud to be French in that way. You can't, you know, announce... If you fly a a flag, for example, in your home, people are going to look at it and think, what the... Why is he doing that, you know? Maybe on the national holiday, you know, the, the, the Bastille Day, you can do that, but... Even then, it will be suspect if you do it. It's so, not like the states where everybody in the, has a flag flying outside their house, and you know yeah. it's, it's very patriotic to to symbolize. Well, that's your- where my, my my thinking came from because the the state is even more than France, a country with a, a lot of different you know people. There are no people who are from the United States. Everyone comes from somewhere else. Almost, yeah, but at, obviously. at the same time, I think those people who have um, been, who are in the United States and obviously have heritage from other parts of the world, they uh, are far more assimilated than the people that you're talking about in France and South Africa. We also have a similar um, identity issue with because mm. we've got a lot of people from different parts of the world living in South Africa, and. I well, think- I'm sure. I'm sure that's true, and I think one of the the reasons why they they're not as assimilated in France, it might be that we don't have an identity, a pride, a pride in their French identity to offer them. Do you, you know? do you find do you find that the original French people who um, came from France they don't. Um, they don't accept the, the foreign people as as open armed as other countries, or they would say, "Well, you're not really French because you haven't been here as long as my family's family's families." You I'm know? sure there are some people like that, and and at least part of the uh, voters for the the Front National, the National Front, are those people. I, I'm certain so- they they exist in South Africa. We have we had in the past definitely that issue of like we had a lot of immigrants from Europe, obviously, and they didn't really assimilate into uh, the Afrikaans or South African population because they weren't accepted. They were more seen as foreigners in the sense that they are, you know, they they came here from Europe. They're not, they didn't struggle as... Yeah, there is, there is this feeling, certainly, but at the same time, the, the, the feeling is also directed towards uh, people who came from North Africa, um, who are second, third generation uh, even in France and who are of, you know, uh, North African heritage, sometimes Muslims. um, And, but they feel French. I mean, it's not even that they feel French. They are French. They don't really know the the country uh, they are from. They don't, sometimes they speak the language a little bit Um, from Algeria or Tunisia. They would speak Arabic a little bit, but not even that much. Um, but, but the problem think- is they, they, they can't and, – and another reason I came to that conclusion was my fiancé, who's from Finland, was telling me it's very strange that you don't see flagpoles on the buildings. In Finland, you see flagpoles everywhere and, right. and you have flags you know, on many, many occasions and people have an opportunity to be, to be 
members of their country. And I think in, you know, one of the reasons, of course, I don't want to say that's the only reasons, but one of the reasons why the frustration mounts so high is that whenever you want to say, I'm French and I'm proud to be French, you will see people in from all over the political spectrum tell you, you know, look at you from the side and think, so you vote for the National Front then? And it's like, no, that's not at all what it is. It's it's a completely different matter. And and the reason why this question is posed all the time might be one of the factors that gives votes to the um, National Front. Yeah. Now, Patrick, I, so I, what, 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 what do the other parties um, campaign around? So I guess they don't go for like the nationalistic press. So. No. Um, Sarkozy certainly played on that uh, a little bit. Uh, and he, he also he goes above, sometimes above what's uh, acceptable by the majority to because he needs the national front I, voters I would think, um, but the 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 center party votes on uh, fiscal conservatism uh, responsibility. Uh, the left left wing votes against you know campaigns against capitalism. Um, th- their slogan was let the guys who are responsible for the crisis the capitalist crisis uh, pay for it. Um, and then Hollande, we're not really sure what he's campaigning on. Uh, the problem is there has been such a – I'm more of a Sarkozy guy, so I see the past five years as some successes, some mistakes, and also a lot of Sarkozy bashing, um, which seems to have turned him into an untouchable for a large part of the population, meaning that it's not like he – they will vote against him because of his ideas. Although, yes, some of his ideas in, on immigration and uh, territory control and things like that are abhorrent to them. But there's also a sense of he is horrible. We have to get rid of him. Um, it's a and they, it, it's it, yeah, it almost became personal. And and they won't see that he actually did a fairly good job uh, holding us afloat with the crisis because other European countries will would have put France in the same bag as Italy and Spain and maybe not Greece, but at least those those two. And we actually aren't so in such a bad shape and they won't attribute it to his uh, action over the past few years. So, so um, that was they, a- they, the other thing is for things like the – so you understand the French psyche, they see the uh, retirement at 62 as – unfathomable and he had to fight to get it uh through and now reti- the retirement age is 62 but everywhere else in the in the in the world 62 is considered the minimum for retirement for us it was 60 until he came along so there is a very strong disconnect in my opinion again i don't want to say make it seem like everyone thinks like that but in my opinion there's a very strong disconnect between what french consider normal which is the socialist party and what the rest of Europe consider normal, which oftentimes is the left, but the left for them is social democrats, uh, the social democrats, right? And I think there's a, a, a difference between the two. We are, uh, we shift, as I often say, a lot more to the left. And even Sarkozy, who's to the right, is very much to the left on some issues compared to the rest of Europe, like, you know, social security, uh, unemployment benefits, uh, education, and things like that. So in in your opinion, um, Patrick, 
do you think the French of uh, France has benefited from Sarkozy being um, their president? Or do you think having someone else to change uh, um, the way things have been going would would benefit the country more? Like, is this because obviously it seems people are moving more towards Holland. Um, do you think yeah. Sarkozy is just getting penalized because of personal issues that people have with his character or his behavior or something, not with his actual, um, the way things have been running, you know? Well, it's, it's difficult to say, right? Because it's, um, he certainly hasn't succeeded everywhere. I mean, even the people who voted for him five years ago are disappointed in what happened. So it's difficult. It's a game of, did he actually do a good job during the, the crisis the world crisis that is one of the worst we've ever seen and we would have been worse if he hadn't done what he's done or did he actually not do a good job and if we had been more i don't know done things differently we would have been better off uh, of course his argument is yes there is unemployment it's it's ha- it has risen and yes we have issues but we were in the midst of that horrible crisis and we could have been like spain but right. we're not so i did a good job and others will say, look at the unemployment rate, look at this, look at that, and it's your fault, which is a fair argument. Uh, my, what worries me, uh, because I'm more you know, uh, conservative, is that Hollande's main measures impl- uh, are about spending money. Um, he wants to hire 60,000 teachers immediately. That's the first thing he, will, he wants to do. And that makes me think... Um, this is I, I don't think that's the way to go. Uh, there are other issues which Sarkozy is very strong on, which are things like immigration. And he says he's, he's limiting immigration and making it, making it more difficult for people to become French. And there are a lot of, of things like that, that that are, again, very, very difficult to bear for the, the, some people in the left uh, side of the country. Uh, but Hollande will not say, for example we have to open the, the borders. Uh, that obviously, he wants a controlled immigration. And his base will say, controlled immigration is horrible. We need to let people be in the country. And that's not reasonable. So he will be a little bit... Uh, uh, there is some de- demagogy. Do you, can you say that? Some populism on the right side by saying we have to be strong on immigration. And there is uh, uh, populism on the left side by saying... Yes, immigrants ha- should have all these rights and all of this and all of that. When both understand that actually you have to be somewhere in the middle and you have to limit immigration, but at the same time, you know, even the left will not open the borders completely. But their base will say, will be very angelic and say, we have to, to welcome people who need our, you know, who want to come to France because, you know, we sing and dance kumbaya. Um, I, I have I have a question uh, for you, Patrick. Um, in 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 the youth, who seems to be more favorable amongst the youth, or is there a divide? And um, the- it's it's hard to say. I would think Hollande. Um, my my gut instinct. I think the younger uh, population is more fa- favorable to to the left. Um, but th- I, that's not just my gut instinct. So, right, right. Mm. So, uh, you were, you guys were telling me that you had heard about the French elections um, 
uh, in the past few weeks. Uh, how has this been reported on? Ha have you heard about the uh, Front National? Or tell me, Charles, you've been very silent. I've been very silent. I've been, I've been listening um, <laughs> attentively. The, um, the, the bit that caught my eye and, and the bit that's been in the, in the news was, in fact, uh, Le Pen's um, uh, strong showing in the first turn. Uh, and it sort of tied back to an article that I actually sent you for last month, which was around um, the, the, the question as to whether there was a groundswell of, uh, of severe conservatism and, and anti-immigration and, uh, and essentially racism developing in France. Uh, mm. So that was, I guess, the connection that was, that was drawn between the two. Yeah. A little bit, not, not a large article, but a bit, but a bit of an alarmist article about, uh, about uh, the, uh, the move in the electorate. Yeah, it's it's definitely yeah, it's definitely been making waves, and in France too. I mean, I don't want to diminish uh, the, the 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 impact of this. Twelve uh, years ago, was it twelve years? Yeah, uh, or ten years? I can't remember. In yeah, two thousand two, ten years ago, uh, Le Pen uh, got to the second turn, and of course, he was swept away uh, very by a very powerful eighty something percent, I think. But yeah, that was but, Le Pen senior, yeah. Yeah, and now it's his daughter who's uh, daughter. Who's, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I guess that's that's mostly it for um, for the French part. Do, do you guys, uh, Letard and Paolo, anything else you want to add? Well, well, the election obviously got uh, exposure here in South Africa, but uh, it was it was more. Uh, uh, They they just briefly talked about it as as a world topic. It wasn't something that I think they really went mm. in depth with, you know. So it's the, not it's not the oh my god left wing, <laughs> is, uh, the right wing is uh, is invading France and. No, Nazis no. Come. I mean, for us, uh, obviously, we don't get a lot of French news, yeah. especially in politics. So it's just something that's a topic that's happening in the world. And okay. if you want to read more into it, uh, there's obviously that on different web pages and stuff sure. in South Africa but it's not something yeah. that they'll elaborate on you know so I guess in uh, in Thailand it wasn't even a blip on the radar right it was a very small blip but um, okay. <laughs> it, <laughs> it, it was like the obligatory um, international news hmm. but um, but yeah some um, importance to it because normally we don't report on um, international elections that much at all unless yeah. it's the USA Of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. But um, since we don't really right or left wing here in Thailand either, it's mm -hmm. not like it's just reported as kind of like the facts of what's going on. Right. Yeah. Hang on. Say, say that again. You don't have a right or left wing. Yeah, we don't have a real like conservative or liberal party. Or so it's not like so. What are, it's, what it's are the Thai politics? Very intriguing. So um of who can be more socialist <laughs> because um uh the ever since from uh when Tuxen was the was elected prime minister it was viewed that um he was able to do it through um kind of like um socialist um policies and um kind of um policies that would give people uh yeah kind of like giving loans and microfinance spreading the wealth something like that and Since um, the opposing party couldn't, uh, you're you're breaking up pretty badly, uh, Letad. Please, 
you're breaking yeah. up pretty badly. It's it's difficult to understand what you're saying. Um, so basically, mm-hmm. you have socialists, and everyone's happy with that. So cool, and it works. Yeah, it's kind of like the I vote through policies, and it's basically um, each party is trying to do that right now. Uh, we didn't catch. We're Just trying to ever what? get the most votes. I'm sorry. So each part. Um, so everything Thaksin became it was elected prime minister through policies that um, were kind of like socialist policies that spreaded money to the grassroots. Um, the opposing party has been trying adopting those policies just to uh, see if they c- can compete. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine that <laughs> things that work get adopted by the two parties. That, yeah, that is yeah, revolutionary. Yeah, more later on. All right. Um, okay, let's move on to uh, the land down under. Let us know because apparently uh, you have almost boring politics happening in the country. I'm not sure what that all, is. All, <laughs> almost boring. Well, look, po- politics, unless it's an election, tends to be kind of dull. But we've managed to spice it up a little bit um, with uh, a bit of a scandal. Ah. We had a, <laughs> we had a, uh, a brief uh, discussion on um, the constitutional setup of France. I probably need to spend a little bit of time talking about the Australian um, parliamentary system to introduce this. Ah, um, please. The, I, the, was, I was hoping you would secretly. <laughs> the, the issue is that uh, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, who is, uh, the position is essentially, if you like, the person who keeps order in the Parliament or, or in the lower house of the Parliament. Uh, and The is, guy with the hammer. Um, kind of an umpire, yeah, be, between, no, between I, the two sides of politics. Yeah. No, I meant the guy with the hammer, a, a hammer to, you know, say, Order! Yes, exactly. That okay. bloke. Anyway, um, he uh, uh, he was recently appointed by the uh, by the existing government. Actually, I don't, it's really hard to describe this because it's a very very complex situation. We do not have a majority government in Australia at the moment, which is the first time that that's happened in my lifetime. Uh, so the the Labor Party, which currently forms the government, only does so with the help of three independents. Otherwise, it would not have a majority in the government. So that, for a start, is a fairly brittle political situation. Mm. In order to shore up its numbers, what it actually did was it nicked the Speaker from the opposition party, from their, from their numbers, and appointed this guy, Peter Slipper, as Speaker of the House of Representatives. Now, the Speaker does not get a vote. So what they effectively did was they took a vote from the opposition and uh, without having to take a vote from their party to appoint the Speaker. Quite a clever move. But this guy is now embroiled in a couple of different scandals. The first scandal is that he appears to have um, done something funny with his uh, travel budget, and uh, that's currently under investigation. I thought you were going to say done something funny with something else. Sorry, no, 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 that's coming. Um, uh, Appears to have done something funny with his travel budget. It's currently under investigation. He's produced documents which allegedly clear his name. These documents are now suspect. Essentially, this is a criminal fraud charge. And if he's found guilty of that charge, then then, uh, the criminal consequences follow and he doesn't retain his seat in Parliament. 
The second piece that he's in trouble with is that one of his former staffers has uh, brought allegations of um, sexual harassment against him. Uh, and that's to the extent of uh, things like inappropriate comments and inappropriate texts and suggestions and things like that. And that is currently um, uh, under a civil proceeding. So he has stood down from the Speaker's chair until the criminal proceedings are sorted, uh, but intends to take his chair back even if the civil proceedings are still pending. Now... Bear in mind that the, um, that the current government, the Labor Party, only holds its position as a result of the support of three independents. And these independents actually aren't all that enamoured with uh, Peter Slipper's behaviour. And uh, uh, whilst I don't necessarily think they'll withdraw their support for the current party, it is, uh, it is something that's putting a strain on that particular relationship. The opposition party, the Liberal Party, are absolutely loving this because remember that Peter Slipper came from their side of the floor. They were actually trying to figure out how to get rid of him because they thought he was a bit of a... Um, uh, <laughs> he was a hard person to manage and was somebody who might be prone to a couple of scandals here and there. turns out that he has been. And uh, so they're quietly rubbing their hands together. And what's interesting is quite often... I don't know whether your parliaments are the same, but parliaments tend to be quite combative and a bit of name-calling and a bit of uh, posturing and posing. The opposition in this case are really quite comfortable to just actually sit back and let this play <laughs> out in the public arena. They don't have to do a hell of a lot to, uh, to make the mud stick around this one. So, uh, um, yeah, I interesting times, I guess, and uh, mm. potentially uh, something that could... Uh, cause a, uh, a double dissolution or an election and, um, and uh, a change of government. So that's so, the kind of pressure that it's putting on things at the moment. So tell me, Charles, if he gets caught, uh, if he is found guilty in the sexual harassment case, does he have to step yep. down um, from his position as well? I actually don't know the answer to that, but I don't believe so because it's a civil it's a case. Civil case yeah. Right, right. I mean, I, if, he, if uh, the travel, so, surely the, the yeah, public pressure if he's found guilty. Ah, now, now, so th this this is what is very likely to happen. Um, whether either charge is proven, if he attempts to take back his chair whilst either are in in, in you know, under investigation, there will be what they call a vote of no confidence in the Speaker. And uh, the news or the, um, the information is that the independents who currently support the government will support the vote of no confidence in the Speaker and he will lose his position that way. So what's essentially... Basically, he can, it, it is very, very unlikely that he'll retain his position as Speaker. The so, flow-on effect of that is that the government needs to appoint a new Speaker will probably have to appoint that person from their own ranks, which reduces their majority margin in the House and makes their position even more um, precarious. So basically, the lesson in all this is uh, keep it in your pants or bad things happen. In this case, That's the fall of the Australian it. government. I would, I, would, I would not suggest that it has been out of his trousers, not at this stage. It is only allegations, and I make no representation as to the facts of the matter, Patrick. Uh, what I'm saying is, in general, uh, when, people, yeah, when people in this situation where people don't keep it, keep it in their pants, things like that happens, and the, con the, the, the con consequence can go as far as, you know, 
problems with um, the Australian government. Actually, what am I saying? The, they're, they're, it provokes problems with the, with the American government and the almost French government all the time. So. Yeah. Oh no, it's 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 a bad, bad, bad thing. Yeah. Bad. So what were the what were these uh, travel costs that oh, that are oh, in look, question? I, I can't. I'm, I'm, what he appears to have done is is handed over. Um, so I don't know whether there's an equivalent in in any of your countries. It's something called a cab charge voucher out here, which is essentially a. A, a voucher or an expense voucher to pay for a taxi or, in this case, a limousine. And uh, what he appears to have done is handed over blank um, uh, cab charge vouchers, which um, the, the, the driver or whoever it is could then fill out their own amount with, and, and uh, there was no control or oversight of that. Wow. Um, so really? That's your it, level it, of, it, of it's, it's travel cost it's scandals? Bad. It's that big. It's that significant. Wow. But but this is. The I thought kind it was something. Yeah. I thought it was no, something along the lines of going to the Maldives and you know. No, not at all. And, and you know, people do that kind of stuff and really get away with it because it's it's kind of like how do you steal a canoe? You just walk out of the shop with it because no one's going to imagine that you're mm. actually stealing it. The stuff that's really out there and in your face, people don't tend to care about. It's the kind of things that are scribbled away behind the scenes that mm. that uh, that tend to cause the biggest problems, and they're smaller, they're less significant. It's just the way it goes. Well, it's, I, I'm, I'm not trying to say, I don't think anyone is trying to say that this, you know, it should be not be looked at. But, yeah, certainly that wasn't the kind of, uh, of well, scope. So basically, so basically to downplay it a little bit, he, he forged a, a cab receipt and now he's in serious trouble. He, he forged a cab receipt and sent a couple of uh, text messages. And, yeah. And now he's in oh. huge trouble. <laughs> Things are harsh in Australia. Yeah, is you it, know is, when is, you is you know when you're a, when you're a country of convicts, you have to set rules <laughs> pretty. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear. I think they would be noticed if it there were other. The phrase "cheese eating surrender monkeys" comes to mind, but I'll. Keep <laughs> <it>. <laughs> um, sorry, Latrad, you're you're breaking off all the time. Still Can you repeat your question? Yeah, I was just going to ask um, if this is something that would be like a big deal if there were kind of other news. I mean, has, has there uh, been a precedent? Yeah, it would be because the issue is not so much what this guy's actually done. The issue is the impact that uh, his his um, potential departure has on the existing of government. Course. Of so course. It's, it's actually, in and of itself, if he was a backbencher for the Liberals and this was going on, no one would care. Hmm. Um, but given the position that he holds and the uh, the effect that it has on the uh, the balance of power in Parliament, that's why it's a very very significant issue. It makes sense, of course. Sure, that's that's the real story. Is is yeah, what is going to affect the not not what he's done, but how it's yeah. going to affect <laughs> the parties. Now I don't want to cab play tab. Because, uh, that's outrageous, uh, Mr. Speaker. <laughs> outrageous. <laughs> Our republic cannot stand for this kind of shenaniganery. All right. Um, yeah, the, the fake outrage is always something that I particularly enjoy. We, we get quite a, a bit of it in France, too. So, um, All right, Paolo, any fake outrage for you guys down in South Africa? There were actually two topics I, I wanted to, to discuss. Is um, one of them was uh, yesterday we had um, 
Freedom Day in South Africa, a national holiday for um, marking the end of the apartheid and uh, the beginning of uh, democracy in South Africa. Mm. So um, something I wanted to talk about is basically uh, the change that we've had uh, over the, over the, the, the years. And in, in my mind, I mean, I've been in and out of South Africa because I've lived overseas for quite a bit. And recently I've moved back to South Africa. And for me, um, I think in the beginning it was a very it was a difficult transition in the sense that um, you had a lot of new um, people in government and there was a lot of changes and a, a lot of radical differences in the way things were run. And um, a lot of people were very concerned about what direction South Africa was going to go in. And, and, and in my opinion, um, it, it's gone in a very positive direction. I, I think it's been a huge success for democracy. Um, it's been a very peaceful transition as well. I don't think, you know, I, I lived in the States for a while and I found the animosity between black and whites um, in the States was far more uh, apparent than it is here in South Africa. It was far yeah. more an issue there really? than it was for us in South Africa. Yeah, of, of course, we have, we have the issue. You know, it's, uh, it's, it wasn't yeah. swept under the rug and forgotten about. But I think it was dealt with a hundred times better than how America's been dealing with it. Because, I mean, their, their issue with slavery and all of that in the past um, was nearly a hundred years ago, if not more. And they still deal with a lot more issues that are face-to-face than, than we do. And I think it's been a fantastic transition. Hmm. Um, so the way, that, the, uh, the way that they've had to uh, manage their transition is very different from yours, though. You, there, there was a specific true. point in a seismic shift and uh, a range of um, effectively reverse discrimination measures that were put in place in South Africa to redress the imbalance, whereas in the United States they're having to do it organically over decades. And uh, it's yeah, very and different And even, approach. you know, Rosa Parks wasn't 100 years ago, so it, oh, it's, no, it's no. more recent. So Right. Right, but yeah, but it's still surprising that how long ago was it? I can't even 18, remember. Eighteen years 18 ago, ago. nineteen ninety-four. So, are you saying that now it's? I mean, I'm sure there are tensions, but are you saying now most people who eighteen years ago would have been completely fine with uh, apartheid are now maybe a little bit the, the younger people, or they're perfectly fine with complete equality? Yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely say you would be, you'd be hard pressed to to find a, a youth who's who's not for the democratic uh, system in South Africa. Uh, I, I think they, especially now that the 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 youth in school have been taught the big differences um, between the parties, whereas in the past, you know, it was really the one side of the story and not the other side. So people have really been able to get a better view of what democracy can do for a country. And, um, uh, yeah, I'm sure you'll find people who, who prefer the old system or, you know, they, they don't like yeah, the new course. system. But uh, in a whole, I think everybody knows that this has been a better transition. It's the way it has to go because, you know, everybody's equal and everybody should see, be seen as equal. And uh, South Africans, black or white or, or whatever color, you know, I think everybody's embraced it very open, uh, openly, and it's been a very good transition from my perspective. You know, and, and I'm sure there's some bad cases uh, for, for people, yeah. but in 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 the whole, I think it's been a very good transition. You've seen a lot of 
um, because South Africa also had uh, the black empowerment um, um, ruling where they had to uh, give a certain percentage of jobs to black people in South Africa to help them, you know, create more jobs and make sure that people weren't holding on to positions, you know. So affirmative giving, action, kind of. Yeah, aff- affirmative action in, in a way. And um, it's been positive in the sense that you see a lot of people who 18 years ago would never have had the lifestyle they have today and they have it and they're doing well and they're, you know, things are really um, booming for them and they're creating business and the economy is growing because of it. Um, and uh, oh, I forget where I was going. Uh, well, so let me ask you yeah, this. Is, that, is that, it, uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go on. I was just going to ask, is it is it the point now where it's self-perpetuating or does it still require intervention? Uh, I think it's, I mean, you would be very hard-pressed to, to get things to go back the way they were. I mean, the government is, as it stands now, is very much in control and it's it's mainly a black government, which is fine because it represents the majority of the population. Um, but uh, I don't think there's any type of intervention in, needed because the current government is actually self-regulating very well. We've actually had an issue with um, a young and upcoming um, politician, and uh, the current government had a – he was part of um, the African National Congress, which is the the, the primary – the the big party here, and they're the ruling party at the moment. And he was very radical in a lot of things. And the last time I was on the show, I I talked to you you in Turkey about it, where he wanted to nationalize all the mines in South Africa. And he was was talking about very radical things. And I think the party itself said, no, 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 no. Uh, This is getting out of control. He's getting too much support. It's not what we want for South Africa. And they recently have thrown him out and taken him to court. And, you know, there's been a lot of oh, wow. corrupt um, allegations that have gone to court. And, you know, he, he's been basically... Anything to do with taxis? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, there's a lot more stuff with planes and holidays and exotic yeah. locations. But <laughs> you guys are just at the cutting edge of corruption. <laughs> yeah. the, can, the, I, can I ask you... I'm sorry. Um, I just wanted to ask, do you know anyone kind of like personally that has made the transition on a personal note? I'm just curious as to kind of like what has made them kind of reform so quickly. Because what do you mean issue, by... Like, kind of like, um, you know, how, the, how pe- blacks are getting more acceptance, you know, do you know someone that has kind of like changed their attitudes yourself? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, definitely day to day I meet and deal with people who have, in the past, I would never be able, because I do business with, with these people, and and they in the past I would have never been able to do business with, because uh, I'm, I'm a white South African, and I would have never been able to do business with a black a person in that manner, and um, today I deal with them and more than proficient, no problems at all, and there's no animosity to I think, us. I, I think the question, uh, Paolo, I think the question was more, you know, maybe someone who's a little bit older who was living in yeah. the apartheid, you know, world uh, 20 years ago and who had to make that transition of considering black people as inferior to then all of a sudden, uh, I don't know, having to consider them equal. Right. Yeah, sure. No, and and I I do know a, a fair amount of people who 
who are in that position where they now see black people as an equal and they've become far more accepting of them. I mean, the majority, all white South Africans have to, have had to be in that sure. position. But and how does that work? Can you, do you have an insight into the, from, you know, one day to the next or one year to the next, maybe all of a sudden you completely change your view of the world? Or is it that most people already, you know, the, the rest of the world was, had already done with that way of thinking. So people knew that, this situation in South Africa was kind of, if not condemned to, to change, at least not the norm? Well, I think pe uh, people, a lot of people overseas have a, a misconception about the way a lot of South Africans were back then because I, I think everybody assumed that every white South African was in this position where they were like, oh, no, 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 we don't see what black people as an equal. There was a, a fair amount of people in South Africa who, who knew the system was wrong. You know, they were just benefiting from the system, if anything. But they knew that, mm. I mean, the rest of the world's running in a completely different way. Why is our way the right way? You know, and I mean, I, I one of my uncles, he was someone who was an activist for the blacks and he he hid them in his house all of the politicians all of the because the, the the ANC movement that's in government today they were trying to gain momentum at that time and they were hiding in houses and you know all of their key figures like Mandela you know they they had to be um, hidden in a way you know and there were people who did support th that um, that Uh, party, you know, and they they came to power. The ANC came to power because of that, because those people in South Africa w were also putting pressure on the government to change. And there are some. You can say that there will, there are some people who don't agree with the current system, but they're few and far between, in my opinion. You know, from from my experience in South Africa and dealing with South Africans, white and black. There are very few and far pe between people who say, no, 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 this, the old system is the way it should be, and I don't see this person as an equal. I think everybody does, you know, and, and it's, it's been a, like I said, it's been a good change in, in the mindsets of people as well. They have accepted it in, in a very open arm so, way. You know? But if it was already sort of a, a, un, you know, a situation where it was understood that, Well, the one you described, how come it didn't change before that? Was it because, as you were saying, some people were profiting from the situation? or? Yeah, I think it was, it was very, uh, it had a lot to do with that, where uh, a lot of key people were very much benefiting from the fact that um, they were able to keep their thumb on a large percentage mm. of the population. You know, if you have the majority of your population not living, uh, as well as you are and you're controlling them you can you can benefit from that in many ways and they were and they were also very self-sufficient that was another key part of it is that they um the rest of the world ostracized us they said oh, embargo on south africa you know we're not giving you any products or support and we're not accepting anything you out and i remember as a as a kid when I, we were traveling Um, in and out of South Africa because I lived uh, outside of South Africa at that point. Um, the, it, we could never fly directly to certain countries because they wouldn't accept flights from South mm. Africa. So um, the sorry, the, I lost, lost my your train, train Patrick, of thought. No we, problem. We, was was France part of the uh, sanctions against South Africa during the apartheid era? 
I yes, couldn't I, tell you. I, th- oh. I think they were. Mo- most of, almost all, all countries in Europe were. And, yeah. Um, yeah, we survived on our own because of it. Like, we were able, because we have a lot of resources. It's not to say we couldn't get minerals and things. We have a lot of farmland. You know, we could support ourselves. We actually even started our own nuclear program at the time because we've got a lot of uranium. And, obviously, that's not a good thing. But they... Um, <laughs> They, uh, South Africa was very much in their own little bubble at that point. And when the rest of the world was really putting pressure on us to change, obviously for good reasons, but they were, they were saying, no, 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 you guys got to change. And South Africa was like, well, we don't really need the rest of you. We can do it on our own type thing. Mm. But then within South Africa, there was also a lot of pressure from, from the black population and uh, growing pressure from the white population. So the government was really at a crossroads where they had to change. And um, they changed in a direction that's obviously been very good for the country. There's another aspect that I think, I'm sure we've already discussed, but I want to ask you again. Um, the, the issue of violence, because maybe a little bit under 10 years ago, the image we had of uh, South Africa in general was of an incredibly violent a country where safety was the main, one of the main concerns um, is that has that been resolved or wasn't it was it not really the case uh, in look the first place? It, it, in in my opinion um, especially after coming to South Africa I've come and gone over the years uh, after living overseas and I've seen big changes pre-apartheid post-apartheid and um, in the new government and I think the big thing that happened during that period when Everybody was um, seeing South Africa under such a bad light because crime was rampant. rampant and, you know, mm. what really happened in my mind is that um, the new government took power and they put a lot of people in key positions who may not have had experience in those positions ever before, you know. And right. what happened was we were having a lot of governmental change in police forces, in fire um, forces, in all aspects of government. You know, it wasn't just to say that the, the parliament had changed. You know, it, all aspects of the government was changing and new people were being put in positions that they may necessarily had never had experience in. And what ended up happening was our police force became very weak. Um, so we had a lot of police who decided they didn't want to be a part of the police force anymore because of the new government, you know, and they were, they were worried about what was going to happen to them. And um, in doing so, the police force wasn't as strong as it should have been. And we have a, a, a very high poverty rate and um, crime began to take off because of that. And then we had a lot of violent crime because we had a lot of um, uh, African immigrants from more um, more like from the Congo and from Nigeria that were mm. far more aggressive, so we had a lot of these immigrants who came in and took advantage of the fact that there were no there were no there wasn 't a strong police force and now, after eighteen years or so, the police force has really started to get a lot of flack because of the fact that they haven 't been you know solving a lot of these problems and in my opinion, they have really stepped up their game uh, i 've seen a, a after the World Cup that we had here in south africa uh, they 've really been clamping down a lot of stuff and in South Africa, um, you might meet people who say, oh, no, it's, it's a crime's a problem yeah sure it 's a problem, but in my opinion it 's gotten 
10 times, a million times better than it, it, it was. And I mm. see a pr- an improvement every day. And it's difficult to see it when you live here, but I, I personally think things are getting much better in that respect, you know. Okay. And that, that's my reason. Okay, fair enough. Um, can, I, um, can I pick out something in particular that you said there, Paula? Yeah, you, sure. you spoke about the, the, uh, the issue that immigrants from, I think you said Congo and Nigeria, was it? That, that, yeah. that, that, that were more aggressive. Uh, so we've spoken briefly about Patrick's immigration issues and, and how that's a, um, that's a political hotspot in France. Oh, boy. Is the similar sort of thing an issue in, uh, in South Africa? Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a big issue in Border South control. Africa. Yeah, because what happened is after the, during the apartheid, we closed the borders were closed. Nobody was really allowed to come and go from the African countries and neighboring African countries. And um, once the ANC took power, uh, they opened up all the borders and they said, "No, you know, everybody in Africa is is welcome to come to South Africa. Obviously, not to to stay, but but um, what ended up happening is we got a, a mass immigration to South Africa because here's this wealthy country in Africa that's got a lot of opportunity. So we've had mass immigration, especially from Zimbabwe, because Zimbabwe has really been in trouble. And if you're a, a family and you're, you're, your wife and your kids are starving, you, you need to find opportunity that will provide for them. And if it's across the border, those you're going to take advantage of that. And we've had a lot of mass immigration from, from Zimbabwe and also other parts of Africa. And because of that, the local population has become very xenophobic t- towards Zimbabweans and Nigerians and stuff because they see them as coming in working for less and taking their jobs, which they feel is their right, you know. And um, we have a big problem in that respect with, uh, with immigration, from, especially illegal immigration. Mm. Yeah. Mm. All right. Um, I guess we, you wanted to discuss something else or should we move on? Well, uh, another topic, I don't, I don't know if uh, I talked quite a bit there, but uh, I wanted okay. to talk about um, Zimbabwe. Um, they have recently been trying to have elections. And for me, especially a lot of Africa doesn't get exposure in, in certain issues. And this is one of those cases, I, I feel, because uh, Mugabe, who's the current uh, president of Zimbabwe, he brought democracy to Zimbabwe, and he brought it to Zimbabwe in the 80s. And he was supposed to have a term, a regular eight-year term of um, being president. And over the time, he's gone by and he said, well, I kind of really like being president. (laughs) So he's been president since uh, the 1980s, and he keeps running elections where... There's a saying where they said if, if there was a, a, a vote on a boat and there were six people, Mugabe would get nine votes. You know, he would. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he's that type of person or that's the type of thing that's going on in Zimbabwe. Where it's not really a free and fair election. And right. they, I have worked with a lot of Zimbabweans, obviously, because they come here to South Africa for work and, you know, they, they're, they're trying to, to make a life. And they have told me that they're really hoping that this election changes things. And 
the, it's just been postponed, postponed, postponed now because um, people have been unhappy with the way they think that it's not going to be another fair election. So for me, um, my, my big so, thing is... Go ahead, sorry. Uh, from, from memory, the last election, the, uh, the, the main... The main opposition candidate whose name escapes me was it Chandrai or something like that. Yeah, um, uh, wasn't there supposed to be a power sharing arrangement with Mugabe out of that? Yeah, but from what I understand is that it kind of all fell through, and he he stepped down, um, and Mugabe kind of just took back power, you know, and. Uh. He kind of, from what I understand, from the people I've talked to, he kind of really does what he wants. You know, he's kind of like, well, I don't really want to work with you, so go away type thing, you know. And I don't think it gets much exposure, also because in Zimbabwe he controls the media. You know, he's like, I don't really want to talk about these issues in the news, so let's talk about something happy, you know. And um, it's kind of like that video I showed you uh, pre pre the show where... He wasn't happy with the fact that some that this company yeah, brought can, this video Can you up. explain what the video is for the people sure. listening? Uh, the, the video is basically a montage of um, Mugabe and they're singing, what's the song? Um, Those Were the Days. Yeah. And uh, they have Gaddafi. Um, he's playing in the, in, in well, the garden. M- Mugabe is, is setting a table for six, but yeah. no one's at the table, so he's remembering the good old days. Uh, of when he had his dictator friends coming and having fun with him, doing what Paolo would describe now. Yeah, and um, he they, he it cuts back to a, a memory of his where he's with uh, he's with Gaddafi and they're both in the garden like having fun and shooting each other with water pistols and having a laugh. And then it cuts to another scene where Saddam and him are playing in the sand and you know, and the gist of it is basically that he's the last dictator that's left and um and the ad is for like in buy this meal of uh, nando's chicken meal and you know you can share with many people like you don't have to be alone type thing mm. and when he saw that he said no no no, i don't like this cut this out. take this out you know and immediately was taken off the media fortunately of course youtube is off and, and you know it's um It's interesting because this is actually something that is very true. And we were discussing a year and a half ago, well, a year ago, about the fact that there are no more, you know, big dictators anywhere at this point. Right. So, and, um, and Mugabe is, I mean, he's, he's, an, he's, an, he's an old man now. So I, I don't foresee him being around much longer, you know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, there's definitely been a shift in, in, in powers. And I think that's got a lot to do with the fact that media around the world has become far more accessible to anybody and a, not your local media. The cynic in Charles, you're siloning. Can you unplug your – I'm not sure that's the problem, but try to unplug and replug your mic if you can. All right, all right. <laughs> the the silening curse <laughs> that has become famous across all podcasts in the world. Um, we'll yeah, so for- my, my, my big thing was really I just wanted to bring uh, awareness to it because it's – because obviously in Zimbabwe they don't – Not really. Oh, crap. Oh, crap. Hmm. That is strange. 
Um, let's let's okay. Keep going, uh, Paolo. Hopefully, we'll we'll. Yeah, uh, I was I was basically just saying like you know, this the thing in Zimbabwe is it really doesn't get any exposure, and in the rest of the world, there's a lot of stuff that's happening all the time. You know, big events and and. Africa's very much fallen by the wayside because Africa's always a tragic case and, you know, people yeah. people don't see it. And, and I think for Zimbabwe especially, here's a country that they were doing really well at one point, you know. in the, when, when Mugabe did take power, they were seen as the breadbasket of Africa. They produced a lot of goods, you know, they were doing very well. And now because he's kind of taken control and he doesn't relinquish any control, the country has suffered from it. And... You know, I, I I feel badly for the country, and I, I hope yeah. in their future that things they turn in the same direction that we've turned. You know, let's hope. And certainly, um, they, we haven't heard a lot about it in France. So, yeah, same thing here. Um, all right, Charles, can you try speaking? All right, how's that? It works. Hey. Fantastic. Um, so I, yeah. I was going to say when you said there are no more dictators in the world, uh, wait 20 years because my guess is that uh, most of these people weren't dictators day one. Mugabe is an excellent example of somebody who um, basically freed a country from, from colonial rule and uh, was the new hope until he didn't stand down. Okay, can, um, can we enjoy the situation for a second <laughs> before no, you I'm ruin be a cynical it? old bastard, and that is just me. No, you know, I don't know. I mean, there's certainly there's a chance that that will happen, but I think the key there is uh, is the economy, and if if we manage to to get a, a, a healthy economy going, I don't see a reason why they should delve devolve back into, um, you know. Uh, into mm. dictatorship more than and and that's a big if obviously yeah. I mean, there are, you're there going are to get issues. the pinko socialist coming at me now because <laughs> you know define healthy economy for me what does that sure. mean does that mean See, that uh, well we haven't had major conflicts corporations we haven't had major conflicts in the western world in the past 50 years so See, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with you, Charles, because I think as time's gone by, we have something that the past never had, which is this. We're becoming far more of a globalized uh, economy. You know, we're becoming far more connected. Like South Africa, unlike the past, now we depend on the rest of the world. We can't afford to sit in a bubble and say we're not going to do that because now we need goods from China. We need goods from Europe. We need all these things that interlink us. And for us to sit by and let someone take power and get crazy i i don't know if the population would 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 allow that but look that, I mean, the, it's, it's exactly it's, the it's, reason why why the u.s and china are playing so well even though they're you know supposedly so i mean enemy, everything yeah. opposes them but they it, are so it's codependent about where the where the power actually sits nowadays and pre-show i briefly mentioned the uh, levison inquiry in the united uh, in the united kingdom into um into media power One of the things that they're talking about there is um, Rupert Murdoch and his influence over uh, the uh, political decision makers in the United Kingdom. And he has testified in front of the Leveson Inquiry recently and said something along the lines of, I have never asked any British Prime Minister for a favour. Now, Murdoch runs some of the most powerful and important um, uh, newspapers and, and media outlets in the United Kingdom. And the general thought is that, no, he probably never has asked a politician for a favour because he's never had to. 
that in fact <laughs> where we've got our dictatorships is now in places like private enterprise where somebody like Murdoch can potentially exert his influence over a government right. and have decisions made in his favour. Now that that I agree with, but that's that's a, a corporate power versus a political power. Mm, translated into the political world, but I take your point. Mm. All right. Um, let's move on to Thailand, if we can, because you, your connection seems to be very capricious today, Letad. Um, yeah. Um, let's try. Um, let's try. Yeah. Sorry about that. Is, is, does it sound okay now? Yeah. Now you're sounding fine. I was very wise yeah, to, to wait for such a long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm sorry. I, I fixed some things. Oh, but, um, okay. Well, then you yeah. were wise to fix some things too. <laughs> um, so things have been a bit political. So I guess I'll kind of like maybe just to allude to what I was talking about before, just to get give you a background of Thailand. So um, before until very recently, and by recent I would say maybe about ten years, or about the same age as um, when Thaksin Shinawat first became um, prime minister, we did not have um, a real um, kind of real political parties based on beliefs such as being liberal or socialist. Mm -hmm. It was more of um, only before the um, the election of Thaksin Shinawat's party, the I would I guess I would say um, Congress, they were elected by kind of um, counting, not based on parties. So it's more a kind of um, regionals or um, districts. And then um, and each each member would be would be supportive by a party but i mean the party are kind of more like kind of more like a sports clubs they are <laughs> sports kind of like club? yeah I, I would say that because um politicians would interchange would change between parties pretty frequently and people would not have like this distinct feeling about um oh no they betrayed their beliefs so it was kind of like there there would there would be transfers among people and we were fun with that Because um, we were founded cool kind of like, it, well, the background is that we, um, re, we, we changed from um, kind of a, a monarchy to a, mm. to a democratic system. But we still have the monarchy, um, the king, as kind of like this symbolic monarch. But at the same time, though, there are royalists that um, do have um, influential power in Thailand. And that is kind of like the issue here with um Uh, Thaksin's dealings with Thailand and how he's coming back. His main opposition as of now has been viewed as kind of um, a fight between the um, royalists and uh, Thaksin's people. So um, the main news is that um, when during Thaksin's second term, he was there was a coup and he fled the country and he has not been back ever since. And After that, there were um, during his time there were a group called the Yellow Shirts, and then after that there was an opposing group formed called the Red Shirts, and the Red Shirts are kind of the people that are supporting Thaksin, and the Red Shirts are comprised of, um, I, I guess we would call them the grassroots, but they are the majority of the people, and um, the Yellow Shirts were originally kind of seen as the, I guess the middle class and upwards, the people who basically lived in Bangkok. And there were, and there was there was a smaller amount of people. So every time there was an election for the past years, um, Thaksin's party has always won, even though he had fled the country and he was no longer um, the prime minister. 
but um, it was always seen that all the prime ministers after that were um, proxies for Thaksin. But um, but you mean d- later, does he have an influence, like a, an actual influence on the politics of the country, or it is seen it that work? way? It is but, seen that way. Yeah, yeah, but he what? He speaks uh, with the people who are elected, or so he would call in through Skype through gatherings <laughs> with the red mob. <laughs> so the Thai people are very educated. They know what Skype is because of Thaksin. <laughs> <laughs> they yeah. So he 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 taught, taught Thai Twitter and Skype. But yeah, so he would Skype in. There would be, he would phone in, and um, talk with the people and explain policies and why the policies, um, why his party is using that policy and this policies and things like that. So at the same time, he has been careful to not get caught. So he used he lived in England for a while and now he's in Dubai. But um, this year during the Thai New Year, it was the first time that he personally came to address the red mob. The red shirts, but um, it was not based. He he originally came that claimed that he would be in um, he would visit in Thailand, but um, he has since shied away. And instead, he has he based his dealings um, his gathering at um, Cambodia. Okay. Yeah. So he has made friends in Cam- Cambodia, and all the red shirts they were um, they traveled and held a big um, Thai New Year party with him in Cambodia. And that was mainly seen as kind of like a symbolic thing that he is coming back soon. Hmm. And it, it kind of made waves in that he held it in, um, at the, yeah, at the, at the Thai new year, which is basically, um, the biggest festival of the country. And it's kind of showed that, um, the people that supported him were still strong and that, um, he is ready to come back anytime. So, But okay, sorry, I might I might have missed it. Why did he leave in the mm-hmm. first place? I'm sorry. Th- yeah, there was a there was a coup, so he was overthrown. Right. So, so interesting how thing can is, he was, come back? Um, he can come back because it is Thailand. <laughs> so legally, <laughs> legally, he cannot come back because um, he was accused of many charges, but um, legally he has only been found guilty of one, which is um, he did not pay taxes on his stock dealings mm-hmm. so so it was kind of, um that was only one that he was found guilty of so um he could not actually become back and run for prime minister but um he the, the way he, 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 people will i mean the the people that supports him will always think that there's a way for him to be um kind of like um pardoned so there there is actually a way um So kind of the pardon system is made by the king every year. So there has been calls for like him to be pardoned for that um, dealing or something like that. But um, Tuxin himself claims that he will not come back until um, kind of like the judging system is more fair or so he claims. Mm. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. I guess, is that so, it for Thailand? Yeah, so... I think it's an interesting point for the country itself because um, in our kind of small world, we are one of the biggest in like the Southeast Asian community. And um, although we are not big on the world stage, we are um, kind of well-known inside uh, our own little area. And we have, kind of, we have kind of been stalling for the past several years. And it's kind of like a turning point for the country right now about what's going on next. So there's... 
there's a view that we are we are at an impasse and there's no real way that we can move on from this because the red shirts keep winning but um they still keep being um opposed by kind of like the a lot of people that are in power behind the scenes and at the same time we are entering there the AEC or the um, Southeast Asia um, I'm sorry it's called the Association of Southeast Asian Nations but it's kind of basically um kind of like the EU in that um it's a economic agreement supposedly we are going to make it official by around 2015 and establish free trade areas and we Woo-hoo. that would make us um see yeah, the so economy the, it's the economy <laughs> stupid <laughs> yeah that would kind of make us the top 10 economy and, and we're it's 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 kind of like a view that if we do not get sorted it's sorted out soon as when that happens we'll get crushed by other country mm. other countries so right. let's start with, with all this going on is there any room for growth within the country or or is is everything just stagnant because of this everything is stagnant so there are so alluding to the when i mentioned that parties do not have kind of a core belief they kind of just roll out policies the Whatever they like yeah the yeah current party is kind of like the most uh, has rolled out basically the most outrageous so the current party is um is still Thaksin's party but they roll out policies such as um increasing the minimum wage to 300 baht so the average minimum wage before this was um about 160 baht but now that's in effect 300 baht and they're doing um a lot of um guaranteeing pr- minimum prices for many things basically um to claim that um micro a lot of micro finances to just to they claiming that um they want to help um the grassroots people things like that they're making enemies out of the rich people and trying to say the rich people don't care kind of like um the 1% or something like that but um the 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 minimum wage policy is like the best example of like an outrageous policy that it's pretty clear that it does, it is not good for the country but um it has won them votes and no has right. made them uh, the ruling party they're just trying to buy votes even though they're not realistic votes or they're, they're not realistic uh, goals they're they're not realistic goals yes they got real votes and they secured um the majority of the people but um people view it as it's going to ruin the economy so it's it's stagnant in that way in that um we are basically should still be an agricultural country is our main um uh gdp but um there's really no, it's not tourism that, for some reason i thought tourism was so huge in thailand that but it's it's second so okay. we still produce like, um you know rice fruits mm. we are, we have climate produce both cold weather and warm weather fruits but um if the minimum wage is coming up what's happening is that so thailand is kind of like and if if thailand was only lived in um southeast asia we would be kind of similar to the united states a lot of thais um don't want to work at farms anymore they do not work in factories mm-hmm. so the labor would actually be people from um myanmar so not really chinese cuz it's a kind of like the higher upper class in thailand So is is Thailand in the same boat as everyone else where everything's coming from China in that respect? Yes, Or, but um in yes because so 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 one of the problems is that um our main selling point for multinational companies such as USA is that we are not China. 
So <laughs> I will, yeah, so but not actually. That's a good point. Right. So it's like okay, Thailand makes it like double the wage cost, but at least in China, we used to be seen as more trustworthy. And at we still least we're it. not China. That's that's a great <laughs> argument. At, at the same time, we have strong China because um, the upper class are mostly of Chinese descendants. Mm. How's the uh, how's the relationship with Myanmar going at the minute? Sorry, just sidebarring it's, there for a kick. Yeah. So, uh, in we um, historically we have been at war with Myanmar for. And Cambodia for a long. Time. I'm sorry. Did you say Cambodia or Myanmar? Myanmar. Myanmar. Okay. So um, they've kind of like faded into the background because um, more recently it's more about um, Cambodia. Mm. But um, yeah. So 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 they have not come up. So more, we're more of kind of like more involved with our own political problems and. We don't have, really don't have time for. Um, I mean, in the news, in the mainstream news, we don't seem to have time for international politics. But at the same time, is there? Um, such as in the south of Thailand, there are there are shootings every day, and it's not safe to travel there. But um, hmm. for but it's not being covered by the m- mainstream press. But partly because I think um, it's kind of like a sensitive issue about who's actually behind everything that's going on in the south. Some people, you know, some accuse it of uh, Malaysia. Some people accuse, you know, other political parties. And right now, it's a very dangerous state in that um, schools can be bombed at any time. It's not safe to be police, and um, soldiers can get killed in every day. Hmm. So, so when you look, when Thailand is actually going through a pretty um, chaotic state. It definitely seems mm-hmm. like there's mm-hmm. there's a lot more happening than I was aware of um, yeah i wasn't aware of much so that's not saying a lot but still yeah we're kind of like um so we so are you saying that there's a feeling now in thailand uh, across the country and maybe especially with the youth that thailand's time is coming kind of or like we're you're we're getting to a state where things are going to be changing and amazing with the sorry the uh asian association of asian countries and things like that or is it just that's what's happening and that's it or is is there actually a feeling of change in the country general feeling is that we're like heading to something bad like very bad oh okay we we don't we don't see a real solution coming out we don't know how the country is going to head is um, it's headed we don't we don't know who the real leader of the country is going to be and um we don't feel we're actually that prepared for a the AEC the economic economic union hmm. and the general feeling among youth is that um they just don't know it's kind of like we don't have much alternatives you know we, it's not like we can just simply move countries or but at the same time we don't know kind of like what we can do to um change things because through all throughout all of this we do not feel like we actually know what is actually going on. Hmm. Meaning, when Meaning you say that, we don't know what's going on, you mean? Um, after the, all the red shirts and the yellow shirts, at the modern time, people have, have, are starting to come to realize that there's no real good guy in all of this. You know, mm-hmm. as I'm, <laughs> was, especially in the first term, I mean, 
people did not accept at the same time. But now that things have been a bit more quiet, he was he was he was good for the country. But um, at the same time, he's flawed, and he has been made. Um, he's been accused of many corruption charges. And so now the you, other, hmm? sorry. So now you're basically cho- choosing between the lesser of two evils in regards to voting. Um. Yes, we pe- people don't know who to vote for, basically, because although I mentioned that Thaksin's party has won all the uh, um, vote elections that has happened since then, there was one time when, um, although his party won the majority of votes, um, he did not have. I'm sorry, he, he won most of the votes, but not enough to be like the single party that led the that led the government. So, um, oh, I'm sorry. Um, there was there, he, there was this election that they won, and we had a prime minister, um, Samaksin Tarawed, but um, he got impeached for um, he had to step down because he was found guilty of um, he used to host a cooking show, and um, it was found that he, he was legally he could not hold another job while he then he became prime minister. <laughs> 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 That's fantastic. Okay, that will bring, you know, will crush your confidence in a political person or or system even. What kind of, yeah. Hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, guys. I'm going to have to to cut this conversation short. I I have to go. It's getting a little bit late. Um, So we can, you know, we can conclude in five, ten minutes and then we have to to close it down. So, um, it, it, please finish your thoughts, Latrad, but after we're going to have to go. Yeah. So basically we don't, we do not feel like we, the feeling is that we do not feel like we have a real democratic system because of the kinds of things like what I just talked about. Mm. But, um, for both parties, like, um, the, the, the supporter, the anti-toxin people feel like, um, the people are be the, the mass majority of people are being fooled. But at the same time, um, the red shirts, they feel like um, they're not getting fit, being treated fairly. And so it's kind of feeling a feeling that um, for the yellow shirts or for like the Bangkok people, there, there's been t- there has been talk that's like, we don't have a real democratic system, but we don't know if we should. So the people in Bangkok are kind of like more um, aligned towards um, the monarchy and the king and um, the royalists. Hmm. So... Um, I don't know. Do we it, think things are very unsure in Thailand, and mm. we have kind of always been through peaceful times, and we have never had like riots. So during the war, we were um, taken over by the Axis or the Allies. So this is kind of like the first for the modern age Thailand to go through. Well, you can tell your your friends and your people that if they want, you know, to give the the leadership to someone that is sure to make something good i'm up for it you know i can i would be yeah, the you know but i would need a new title though like the the chief honcho person of thailand that would work for me but i take it rolls off the tongue really nicely yes, patrick i agree <laughs> well right. we do the french Kind of nice people, you know. We have good image towards the French. Oh, see, so, it works. It could work. I would make you know wine and cheese mandatory, and like. Hang on, uh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Um, France didn't uh, uh, didn't have Thailand as a colonial 
Um, no, uh, no subject did it. No, no. You were in Vietnam and Cambodia yeah. and places like that, right? Exactly. Okay. <laughs> so we're good, right? We're, it's, it works. <laughs> as All long right. as you don't have a cooking show. No <laughs> <laughs> cooking shows. They'll get you impeached. No and cooking no shows. Receipts. All right. I'll keep that in no, mind. No. Um, all right, gentlemen, thank you very much for, for coming on the show. Um, before we go, uh, please let us know where we can find you on the internets uh, after the show has concluded. Uh, let's start. I, I have to say someone's name, don't I? Uh, let's start with Charles. Um, very simple. I'm nowhere on the internets unless you want to follow me at Extrepid. Uh, on Twitter, and I say nothing interesting. So uh, by all means, do <laughs> wow. if you want. You're really selling your 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 presence really well. Uh, uh, that's well, impressive. There's a couple of nice photos of the Victorian high country that I was at over the last couple of days. If you want to look at those, but um, no, that's about it, really. I'll I'll do that right now. What about you, Paulo? Uh, people can find me uh, on Twitter at Paulo Audio. P A U L O Audio at yeah. Mm-hmm. At Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Twitter. <laughs> and what about you, Letad? Yeah, I'm basically, I also say nothing interesting on Twitter at, at Lertad, L-E-R-T-A-D. All right. Well, yeah. yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Um, yeah, basically any social network, I use that name, Instagram, it's, whatever. Yeah, you're, you're very lucky in the sense that you have a name that is uh, Unique. very rare. Yeah, very nice. Exactly. Uh, for me, it's not Patrick, and similarly, I'm not Patrick almost everywhere. So that's easy to remember, too. That is going to be it for the show today, and we will be back in a month with another uh, round of guests and fantastic stories that hopefully will include more international topics. And uh, we'll see you then. Bye. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.